Morning, church. How are you all? Ah, good to see you this morning. We can sing about how great our God is, but I think there's times we need to personalize that because he's at work in each of our lives. And that's what's exciting. Uh, Larry Stelb, where are you? Where's Larry? Larry, uh, if you can turn around, just give Larry a wave there. Larry, wave your hand there. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say hi to Larry this morning. Uh, actually, uh, last Sunday, uh, Larry was in the hospital having suffered a heart attack. And uh, after the doctors look at him and uh, a stint in the right place, uh, he's all better. But, Larry, was it the doctors that healed? Yeah, yeah. You see, our God is greater, and our God is stronger. He's awesome in power. He is our healer. And we sing how great is our God, but unless we're experiencing that in our lives, those moments, and that's a large one, but it's the small ones that make all the difference. It's the cumulative effect of knowing this great God, moment by moment, being great, even when we're not so great. He's still great. All right. Well, we welcome you this morning. We're going to start with a, a word for you, justice. Justice. That word can mean different things to different people. If you're following along in your sermon notes, we're rolling this morning. The word justice. Different things to different people in different places at different times. And here at Southside, we talk about a common language. We must have a common language so we agree as to what the meaning of words are because that brings clarity and unity when we're speaking a common language. So when we use that word justice this morning, I want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. So we're at the same starting point, and hopefully we'll end up together, right? So the word justice, the dictionary defines it this way, the principle of fairness or the principle that punishment should be proportionate to the offense. I think that makes sense, don't you? I'll, I'll accept that. I'll, I'll buy that. But beyond what the dictionary definition says, I think it's important, what is God's definition of justice? And if we want to know how God defines a word, where do we have to go? Yes, the Bible, God's Word, that's right. And there we come up with God's definition of justice, which, of course, surpasses any dictionary. Would you agree with that? All right. So how does this work out in God kind of language? But you know what? I've never, I very rarely have heard anything preached or taught about the justice of God. What is God's heart for justice? Think with me. You ever heard a sermon about that? You ever heard teaching about that? But as I began to study this topic, I saw that this theme is saturated uh, throughout Scripture, God's justice. So if you're like me, maybe you also thought that eh, this justice thing isn't that big of a deal to our Christian faith. If I'm a Jesus follower, how do I connect with justice? Well, I'm here to tell you it is. I'm grateful for Pastor Eddie Byan and his thoughts from the book Justice Awakening. Uh, for some thoughts that I've gleaned from there. So let's get going. Now, the word for justice in Hebrew 
which is what the Old Testament is written in, is mishpat, mishpat. It means justice. It occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament, so it's a frequently found and used term. Now, the most basic meaning of this word is to treat people well. It means to treat people well, but it also means giving people what they deserve, whether it's protection or punishment. So not only does it have to do with treating people well, it's giving people what they truly deserve. Punishment, protection, whatever that might be. Now, if we fast forward to the New Testament, the Greek word is dikaiosune, which means justice or righteousness in our English translation. So treating people well, treating people rightly or righteously, the word carries across from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is the essence of justice. Now, justice and righteousness are very closely related terms. So I'm going to do some teaching today, all right? So we've got to kind of dig into this. They're, they're very closely linked. They are so essential to God's kingdom that these two things, justice and righteousness, are the foundation of God's throne. That's kind of an interesting concept. We think of God on a throne. Now, God is spirit, so this imagery uh, is there for us so we can kind of get our heads around it. Here's what the psalmist wrote. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. In other words, these are foundational principles for understanding who God is and how he operates. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of your throne, God. Now, beyond that then, not only are they the foundation of his throne, they are an essential part of God's character and nature, justice and righteousness. Here's what the Bible says from Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So, we look at the, the vast body of evidence for this God of justice being an essential part of his character, being an essential part of his nature, being the foundation of his throne. Now, here in the evangelical church, what we'll do is we kind of tend to overemphasize some of the attributes of God, not that that's wrong, some of the characteristics of God, not that that's wrong. Our God is love. Holy, holy, holy. See, we, we focus on certain attributes of God's character and nature, but the Bible is filled with a panoply of who God is and how he operates, and this whole idea of justice is often overlooked. Now, certainly God is love and God is holy. That is who he is in his essence. However, he is more than that, right? And so we look at this whole idea of God being just. Now, if God is just, if God is just, what do you think the Son is like? Just like Him. Like Father, like... You got it. You got it, right? So if God is just, guess who else is just? His Son, Jesus, our Savior. By the way, it's God in three persons. It's not three gods, right? It's God in three persons, blessed trinity. That's a different kind of message, but we don't worship three gods. I just want to make sure we're all understanding that, all right? So what do you think the spirit of God is like? Hmm, maybe the same, right? 
So like father, like son, in speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah some 600 years before Jesus would step into our world there in Bethlehem, prophesied. And he said that Jesus is the one through whom justice will finally be established over all the earth. Now, kind of wrap your head around this one. Here's what Isaiah wrote 600 years before Jesus. Look at my servant, God speaking, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring what to the nations? He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. So I would say the mission of the Messiah is to bring forth justice to the nations. This is what Isaiah prophesied. He would bring justice to to the nation. He will not stop, he will not falter, he will not hesitate until his mission is accomplished. Now, Jesus came to right the wrongs done to the vulnerable and the oppressed and the weak. He came to declare the good news of forgiveness and eternal life into our fallen world. We all agree with that. But his mission must be ours. If it's true of the Father, if it's true of the Son, if it's true of the Holy Spirit, should it not be true of those of us who claim it is Christ in us, the hope of glory? If the nature of Christ is in us, then justice should be extremely important for the Jesus follower as well. Here's how Amos put it. Oh, man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Not to think about justice, not to know about justice in our head, not to understand justice, but to do justice. This is what the Lord requires of his followers, to do justice, to treat other people well. Hmm, kind of interesting, isn't it? And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the Lord requires of us. So we have today this kind of justice movement. Everybody's jumping on the justice bandwagon. And I think as, as God followers, though, we need to be very clear about what we're saying about this and by this. We are called to care for the physical needs of the poor and the hurting and the captives. That is justice. But don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This is what I'm saying. We must never lose sight of the fact that the primary mission of Jesus was to bring spiritual justice to our world, spiritual freedom, spiritual healing, spiritual blessing to all who are held captive by sin. This is the primary mission of Jesus. He did not feed everyone. He did not clothe everyone. No, he came and he went to the cross for everyone. Make no mistake about it. The primary focus of bringing justice to this earth was to be the Savior of the world, the one who took upon himself our sins so we would not have to bear it. Okay? I want to make that point very emphatic and very, very clear. There is priority here. There is priority. All right? You see, if someone is free physically but never experiences the spiritual freedom that comes from the cross, from what Jesus did for us, then that person will still be bound to their sin in chains for all of eternity. That's not freedom. Maybe for a few short years on this earth, it might be freedom. But Jesus came to change us for all eternity. Okay? Just so we're very clear with that. 
Now, a weakness of the evangelical church in recent history is that we've been almost exclusively concerned about the spiritual freedom of the soul with comparatively little concern about the physical conditions of others. I think it's a weakness. Thankfully, we are seeing that addressed in our generation. What evangelicals are beginning to rediscover is that when we love people by caring for them, by meeting their needs, just as Jesus did, which is done on the mission field all around the world all the time. When we begin from that point, it opens our heart to hear the gospel message for the spiritual freedom. Hmm. But we must never use caring for the physical needs to simply get our foot in the door so that we can win their souls. Never like that phrase. We, a person's won to Jesus or comes to Jesus, not just their soul. We're not about soul winning, Right? God died for the needs of the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. Now, may we be a church that will love our neighbors in whatever way we can, whenever we can, and have that opportunity. And that's the important, I think, of us closing down our church for a couple times a year and going out and serving our community. It's a reminder that as a corporate body, we are called to go and serve others. Faith in action. And you guys do that very, very well. And we've got a next one already online for the first Sunday of October. So excited about that. Now, between now and October, we have the Emmaus meal coming up in July. And if you've not yet signed up for that, do that after the service. And I'll be there uh, serving at the Salvation Army. We must love our neighbors whatever, in whatever we can, wherever we have the opportunity to do that. You see, we must live out the gospel not just say it. The gospel must be declared and demonstrated. It's both and. It's really a balance. It must be lived out in love as well as spoken in truth. We have to do both of those things together. But before we start looking at the injustices in others, the injustices in our community, the injustices that are happening all over the world this morning, we need to begin by looking at the injustice right here in my own heart. That's where this journey truly begins. We begin by remembering that one of the greatest injustices known to man is sinning and rebelling against the holy God who loves us the way that he does. That is injustice. Now, of course, there are great evils. There are great evils in our community. There are great evils in our world. We must fight. But before I look at the speck of sawdust in my brother's eye, I better honestly examine my own heart first. That's where it begins. It must begin there. I will find that great evil lies within me as well, if we're honest. Great evil, the capacity for great evil, lies within my own heart. I need to surrender it constantly at the feet of Jesus, take up my cross daily and follow him, deny myself, do those things. I must overcome it only by the power of the cross. Hmm. I'm a sinner who has committed great injustices, and I can only be freed and forgiven and restored by Jesus. And for some of us, that's where we've got to begin the journey is by first looking into our own hearts. And the rest of the service, just kind of dial it out. Because what's happening in our community, what's happening in our world makes diddly difference unless we get it right in our heart right here. That's where change begins. It must happen in our own hearts first and foremost continually. All right? All right. Now, once I've looked into my own heart, 
I begin to understand God's love and his mercy, what Jesus has done for me at the cross. I then can look at others, and I will see others as God sees them. I will respond as God responds. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So two things by response. Number one, praying that those who do injustice will put their hope in God. Praying that those who do injustice will put their hope in God. Praying is where we begin, as we'll see in a moment, and praying is where we've got to end with this thing. But if we're going to look at this injustice issue, I look into my own heart and I begin to pray, Oh God. Oh, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Oh, God, have mercy on others who are doing injustice because, like me, they're a sinner separated from you. Secondly, loving both the victims and the perpetrators of injustice. You get what I'm saying by that? Loving both the victims and the perpetrators of injustice. That's the earmark of a Jesus follower when I begin to love my enemies. Not sit out there with a sign in protest but begin to love those who don't love God so that they might love God too. Big, big difference. Big difference. Loving both the victims and the perpetrators of injustice. That is what a Jesus follower is all about. That's the love of God in action when I can love those who are unlovely, those who do horrible things. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He loves Everyone, everyone, is what they're doing evil, wicked, vile? Absolutely. Have you done those things that are evil and wicked and vile against the holy God? Yeah. 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 Now, human trafficking is a form of injustice. It's really modern-day slavery. As of 2012, the International Labor Office report said approximately 20 million people are now victims of human trafficking. That means that 161 out of the 196 countries on this planet are affected by human trafficking, by being either a source, transit, or destination country. America's right at the top of the list. Men, women, and children are sold into slavery at the tune of about $150 billion. That's a conservative estimate. Conservative estimate in sex and labor markets. Now, we got the international drug trade. That's way out there. But running in second place, tied for second, tied for second, is human trafficking right there with arms dealing as the second largest criminal industry in the world. And if we're talking about in the world, that means in Sheboygan. Okay? Because I think we're still in the world here, aren't we? Yes. Okay. So... It's massive. It's massive. This is happening globally and domestically in urban and suburban areas, in hotels, in restaurants, on street corners. It's affecting and impacting all of everything we do. It taints the food we eat, the clothes that we have on our back, the electronics that we use. I can guarantee you in that supply chain at some point there's been human trafficking issues involved. And I don't care what you're wearing or what phone you're looking at. doesn't make any difference. I can assure you, somewhere in that supply chain, there's trafficking. We don't have to get on an airplane to do the justice mission that God has given us. We don't have to think of it as out there because it's right here. It's everywhere. It's around us. So a psalm I've been memorizing, Psalm 101. David says, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will sing of your love and justice. 
I will sing of your justice, Lord. And then the last verse of that I find quite fascinating. The last verse of this psalm says this, my daily task, my daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. So he sings of the justice of the Lord, but then he does justice. Now, the city of the Lord is Jerusalem. That's where he lives. So he's talking about his home court. My daily task will be to ferret out those who are doing injustice so that the streets of where I live are safe. Get what he's saying here? That's his daily task, to make a difference, to free the city where he lives for God. Now, we begin by being light right wherever God has placed us, right here, right here in Sheboygan, Sheboygan County, or the surrounding area. Who are the vulnerable right here in our own backyard? How do we serve them? Well, today with us is Tamara Remington. Tamara, if you'll come on up. Tamara is a 21-year vet of law enforcement. She spent eight years in England, and come on up, Tamara, grab that mic. Welcome. She's been an officer with the Sheboygan Police Department since 2005. She's been a detective since 2012. Uh, she comes to us from San Jose where she worked in gang-related activities, but now has a focus and a real heart burden for trafficking right here, right now. So let's welcome Tamara this morning, shall we? Now, Tamara, really... Really, trafficking here in Sheboygan. you got to be kidding me. This, this is like paradise, right? There can't be this stuff going on. Tell us about it. I hear that all the time. I, uh, as as uh, Pastor said, I came from San Jose, California, where I was a gang detective, and I handled human trafficking out there. And while I was out there, um, I believed that it was an international problem. It wasn't until I came to Sheboygan 10 years ago that my eyes were opened that... This is going on right here, domestically, locally. Um, I was a school officer, um, and the kids opened my eyes. So that is something I hear all the time. I hear not in Sheboygan, um, not in our community, not in Wisconsin. Well, as, as he pointed out, I mean, Wisconsin, um, we have federal um, sweeps every year. I'm part of the human trafficking, uh, the federal task force in Milwaukee for southeastern Wisconsin. We have annual sweeps. Um, to recover as many um, sex trafficking victims as we can and to arrest as many traffickers. And in the last three years, Wisconsin has been in the top two. That's not a good um, place to be. I mean, it's, it's good that we're recovering that many people, but that we are constantly, lately, in, in the, the hub, the top, the top two. Um, so it's definitely going on here. Um, moving from California, um, it definitely concerned me, you know, well, why, why the Midwest? And that's something that um, we, I have arrested many traffickers. And when we mm. do, we debrief them and ask why the Midwest. Um, and they, they like our, um, our community's hardworking, our, our work ethic, um, our people-pleasing nature. So I'm not saying that we need to be jerks. I'm not. I'm certainly not saying that. But I, I, we definitely. There's a lot that we can do to be safe, to keep our communities safe. So that's something that in law enforcement we go out and do the prevention piece, and it's so important to, for the community and churches. I really thank you for for um, taking on this topic because it's something that we can all, as a community, as citizens, we can all you know participate in this um, to help our community. Um, so I have handled numerous cases federally and stateside 
um, sex trafficking right here in Sheboygan with victims from Sheboygan. Um, I've, I've handled, I just had a case that started two weeks ago um, with a, a, a person taken from Sixth and Penn. And in that person's own words, you know what she said to me? Um, we recovered her in Dallas, Texas after she was taken and drugged and uh, recovered in Dallas. And she said to me, you know what, I consider myself fairly savvy. She said, I thought this only happened in, uh, on TV, in movies. Mm -hmm. So she did not believe in Sheboygan. Now she's got a lot of healing to do years ahead of her, but she said one day she does want to come um, after all of her healing to do the education piece. Mm -hmm. um, we have victims in southeastern Wisconsin as young as two sold for sex trafficking, and I've met elderly victims. There are boys and girls, men and women, involved in different capacities, and that's a whole separate topic that we, we present mm -hmm. on. Um, I have had um, a case that, that started at 12th and Lincoln. Dustin Fickett was the one that uncovered that. Jason Guidry, um, trafficking young women, uh, beautiful, smart, young people, um, by getting them addicted to drugs. And um, from Elkhart Lake, Random Lake, Keel, Cascade, Sheboygan. So it's definitely happening here. I hear people say, well, not, you know, it's only happening to a certain type of person or a certain race. No, it's every race. I've got victims, survivors of every race, every age, um, the whole spectrum. Um, I had a girl, um, a case last summer taken, well, uh, it was an attempted um, trafficking, but it was 10 o'clock, so just about, around about now on a Sunday. Ten, to me, this is the most beautiful time of the week, 10 o'clock on a Sunday, and she was approached at Fountain Park by a trafficker and uh, one of his um, trafficked, um, and, and they... And she said, had we not made contact with her and worked with her um, two years prior, she would have gotten in the car. She would have uh, been trafficked. So we see it all over the city. It's definitely happening. Um, and there is a lot that we can do to educate our, our community. And there's a lot that we can do. So that's a positive note. I hear people say, oh, it's, oh, it sounds so gloom and doom. But there mm. is a lot that mm. we can all do, not just law enforcement. Um, but, you know, as community members, we owe it to our community to keep everybody safe. So it's definitely, um, it's in all 72 counties in Wisconsin, too. So if you hear people say, well, maybe in Sheboygan, but not Fond du Lac, make sure you point out, you know, it's documented in all 72 counties. Wow. Wow. So I think as a church, uh, we're kind of a hands-on group of people. We're doing the education piece by doing what we're doing today. What can individuals do or what can we do collectively as a church to address this problem? I, uh, it, it's so great to hear this because um, I started working these cases, I'd say, in, in, in Sheboygan, local cases, um, in about 2009. And I put a message out to law enforcement all over the nation saying, what can we do to help these kids, to help these community members, to help these victims of trafficking? And you know what I got back from the nation, from all the different law enforcement? Well, you know, uh, if you find out, please let us know. <laughs> so this is something that we have prayed yeah. on, and it has been an answer to prayers. And I can say that um, in taking many of these, I, my chief has been wonderful, and let me, he lets me go and pick up all these different victims from around the state, take them to federal court. And as I used mm -hmm. to do that, all I would have to offer them at the end of the day, after they testified before a grand jury, was here's my business card, here's my cell phone number, you know, call me if you need me. And some, some have, but that's not very much to offer. 
and now as an answer to prayers uh, over the years, and I have recently met with some of the survivors um, to tell them all that we do have now. Love, Inc., um, which I, I, I believe you're all aware of. I mean, they work to make uh, restoration bags for our survivors. Um, we have a group that comes monthly. I mean, it's sad that we need that, but we do. Um, a monthly survivor meeting. Um, so Convergence Resource Center comes up um, to help our survivors monthly. And we hope to be entering um, the jails to um, minister um, because there are so many survivors within our, our facilities. Um, there's also something that it's pretty exciting. Just Friday, the court ordered, um, it's called Ending the Game, which is a program also. Uh, it's a faith-based program, but it's, um, it's offered to survivors to end this, to end this cycle. So Good. there's a lot we can do. There's also the um, anti-trafficking coalition here in Sheboygan um, that you can <clears throat> become involved with. Um, so um, they have a lot of great, uh, they have uh, monthly meetings and they have <clears throat> programs. Adam, is that water open? There's a fresh one. Good. I'm wondering, do you have a question for Tamara? As long as we got her here, uh, this is good. So what kind of pops into your head? If you're thinking about this and maybe for the first time processing it, uh, we got, okay, go ahead. We'll start. Absolutely, that's a great question. She said, is there anything we can do proactively? That is so important. As I, as I wonder every night, um, what can we do? It, it truly is the prevention and the awareness piece. So I also belong to a trafficking, uh, the task force, the state one for all of Wisconsin in Madison. And um, they did say Sheboygan is in the top two for the awareness piece. So I'm so proud of Sheboygan. Hmm. And it's, it's groups like this. Um, I heard that the west side of the state is more in denial. I mean, we're acknowledging that it's happening here, and we are um, we're doing the awareness piece. We are getting into schools, in med middle schools, to educate, to let, let kids know that this really is happening, and this is what a trafficker looks like. You know, I mean, it, they, they have so many different faces. They, the, the traffickers are men and women. Um, they can be very um, handsome or beautiful and make these false promises. So it's not like the movies where you can tell what you're, you're being... Um, reached out to. Um, also, 76% of the trafficking takes place, the, the meetings take place on social media. So there's a lot we can do to keep our, our community safe, to be a hard target. And upon interviewing traffickers, um, we find out what it is that they're looking for. So like I, I spoke with a, a man earlier, I mean, staying in groups um, for our community, for our kids to stay in groups. Don't separate one by one. That's what the traffickers are hoping to find, a kid that will be the straggler, the one that will wander off with the trafficker to be brainwashed or drugged. Um, so there's a lot we can do. The education piece, um, something as simple as making eye contact helps um, because the traffickers we've interviewed, what, what is it that you're looking for? They said, I'm looking for the boy or the girl that doesn't make eye contact when I, when I encounter them. Hmm. Um, they're also looking for... Um, the straggler, or, or that they're also very happy that our youth, that our community is buried in our devices. They love that, that we're not looking up, paying attention, because they're paying attention to us. And for those of you who don't think that traffickers are monitoring you, 
and watching your Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all of those different sites, they definitely are. I hear kids so many times, they're not going to invest that time in me. They absolutely are. Because as Pastor pointed out, um, it is quickly becoming the number one way to make money. It's so lucrative. You can sell a human over and over and over again. You can only sell a drug or a gun once, right? So they definitely do their, um, the suspects, the, the traffickers are definitely doing their bit of investing time in our, in our community. So we need to be a hard target. So there's a lot we can do to educate ourselves about what it is um, that they're looking for. Um, educating our, our youth, educating our community, we can all be a part of that. That's a great question. She said, how would they approach, say, a young man? Her son is 20. They absolutely do, and it can happen. And I, I don't want us to judge the victims of this crime. That's another thing, because the crazier it sounds, the more often it is true. I had a case where the guy was trafficking people at funerals, selling people for sex at funerals. So, again, the crazier it sounds, we have to still be open-minded about that. Now, a 20-year-old, um, and uh, we... We are seeing this, a trend, where they're targeting college kids, impressionable um, college kids, um, even at Madison and Marquette. So it, it can, it's happening to very bright individuals. Um, the way they're doing it is um, the top two ways are through modeling agencies um, by claiming to be um, photographer for models or um, a producer of a music, like kind of rap music, or any fill in the blank, any kind of music you like. Um, they become that, I'm a producer, because those are what youth like. You know, they're, they're interested in, in music and things like that. So they become what it is that you want. They pay attention to your social media. Please be careful what you post. We had a young lady taken from Mead Library because she posted about her family's argument that, the, that her mother and her sister were her favorite people in the world and um, that she had just been in a fight with them. Well, this trafficker found her at the library and got her to come with him because she, he said, you know, he made threats, false threats, um, but he, he said, I will hurt your family if you don't come with me, and I know all about your family. I know all the details. So be careful what we post, really, as a community and as kids. Um, we all know somebody who posts too much. Um, so that's something that we can all do to be proactive and, and let people know, really, Make sure you really know who you're talking to. Um, I, I, for a 20-year-old, and, and it definitely does happen to, to young men as well. I got a call not too long ago from somebody that I used to know from being a school resource officer, and it was a boy, a young man, and he said, Remington, I think I got myself in a jam. It turned out he was being a driver for a trafficker, for a pimp, driving young ladies up to Green Bay to sell for sex. So they're using it. So don't think for when we go into these schools and talk to boys, you know, I see the boys and, the, you know, the tough, the tougher people, they think that it can't happen to them. They can be used as a guard. They can be used as a driver. Um, they definitely look for the impressionable ones. And they're not always going to be, obviously, a pimp isn't going to portray themselves as an evil, nasty beast. They're going to portray themselves as, I'm your friend. I'll take you to that skate park. Let's, let's go to a concert. Let's go grab McDonald's. One girl got taken because she wanted a spaghetti meal. I mean, she just wanted to sit down with her family and eat. So be careful what it is that we post out there because they become what it is that you want.
or what you think you want. Good. One more question. Uh, I really appreciate the whole, that's a, that's very good. Mark, did you have one? <coughs> questions he's got. Um, so he's asking um, about the recidivism rate. Absolutely. Out of all of my cases, and I have cases to the Pal Chang case, um, where he was operating at 7th and Kentucky, um, 11th and Superior, um, motels around Sheboygan and funerals. Um, the recidivism rate is, is absolutely hideous. And I've heard um, many different survivors. I mean, they, they say that you go back to that at least six or seven times, taken many times by different pimps. I had three young ladies taken up to North Dakota with the fracking business. And when they did escape one pimp, they got taken by another. And um, so yes, it's an absolutely high rate um, with a lot of brainwashing, a lot of the control through drugging. By the way, I really liked the image that you guys had for the, um, the advertisement. It didn't show a kid or a person chained up. Um, which I think is a false perception. I hear people say, well, we don't have human trafficking in Sheboygan because I don't see people in shackles and chains or caged. Well, you know what? It, the chaining and the shackling goes on in different ways, in the brainwashing, in the control, in the threats, or the false promises. Hey, baby, I'll, um, we're going to get married, and I'll take you to a vacation in Florida. Um, these false promises. So the chains are different. Um, we have so many issues for the survivors. Um, and at this point, I used to say I knew of two that, that were fully out of it, ending the game. I'm, I'm down to, actually I was down to zero until a couple weeks ago, um, and I've got a separate story to tell about that. That was a God, God experience. But um, we definitely need a lot more um, as far as like a transitional living facility. Um, we don't have anything like that in Sheboygan, and our victims, um, our survivors are having to um, either stay, and I, I really appreciate Safe Harbor, but at the same time, that's victimizing, that's putting other um, residents at that facility in jeopardy, potentially, um, when you have traffickers. I've even had traffickers drop young ladies off at the shelter saying, go live there for free, find me more victims. Um, so we don't want that either. So it definitely is its own beast, and we need to have one day um, a, a, a place a safe place with transitional life skills, um, a safe place where they can do the AODA. That's, that's hard with the drug addiction issues after the pimps get them um, addicted. So there is so much more that we need um, for our survivors. At, right now it is just self-help groups. I do transport some down to Milwaukee. Um, they, I've seen a lot of healing through those programs, and I'm so grateful for what we have been able to have. But there is so much more that we, we do need for our survivors. So. Great questions. Uh, Tamara, thanks for being here. Let's give her a hand. Thanks. You can't. I just had a quick hope, a message of hope that I wanted to share that um, Dustin, I didn't even tell him yet, so I can't wait to tell him. But um, so I was down to zero survivors that had not gone back to the life because it is a hard thing to break once you, you know, once you've made those, those choices or been broken down. 
um, it's a very hard thing. However, so I was down to zero survivors, and it was just, it's, it's really um, hard to deal with. Um, but I was doing a presentation, it was about two months ago now, and all of a sudden I saw the toughest of all survivors, of all victims. Um, she was brainwashed by Jason Guidry and refused to see him as um, preying on her or any of the others. Um, Dustin and I had to take her down to federal court in shackles um, to testify, believe it or not, because she had her own issues and she refused to the very end to believe um, that, that Jason Guidry, the trafficker, was, um, was a problem. She, uh, she was completely brainwashed. Well, so two months ago I'm doing a presentation and I see this beautiful, healthy face, no longer sick, and it's at the back of an auditorium and it comes closer and closer and closer and I'm kind of looking, I thought that looks a lot like that one I took to federal court with Dustin Fickett to, in shackles. Is she here to finish me off? Is she here, you know, I mean, because it was not a good ending. Um, it just was not good. She refused to, well, at the end of the presentation, I mean, everybody was kind of looking because they noticed her coming closer and closer and closer. At the end of the presentation, she charged me, hugged me and whispered into my ear, she said it got worse before it got better. She said, I found God. And uh, she says, That's I, uh, it. The hardest one. And, and she, she whispered as she was just, I mean, she said, and, if, and if, if he could heal her, I mean, it really gives me hope for everybody. Because as Dustin notes, that one um, now said she's going through the, um, a rehab program to, for her addiction issues because he got them all hooked on heroin. She knows she has met much more work, but she said, one day I will be side by side with you to do these talks, to let the community know, to help prevent others. So that, that's just a message of hope. So I just wanted to share that with you, especially Dustin. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I want to put one little last piece. It won't take but a few minutes. Uh, because it's not just Sheboygan, it goes to the ends of the earth. Thailand is one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to human trafficking. And you know that uh, Cindy and I moved here from Thailand. Conservative estimates say that the number of victims forced into either uh, the sex industry or labor are in the tens of thousands. We often associate Thailand more with sex trafficking, but a large portion of the victims in Thailand are run through commercial fishing, through the garment industry, through domestic work. And that's why the Thai team is going September 29th through October 9th to Thailand. And we're partnering with an organization that Cindy and I uh, saw birthed. And uh, in the church we were serving there, uh, we're able to house them in their initial uh, years. And now they are international, and it's great to see. But it's called Nightlight, and Annie Dieselberg is the head, and our team is going to be working closely, even taking a tour of the streets of Bangkok at night, right down into the pit. Uh, our folk are going to come back changed, I guarantee it. 